Chapters eight and nine of Recollections of Napoleon at St. Helena by Elizabeth Balcom Abel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eight. Wear this for me, one out of suits with fortune. That would give more, but that her hand lacks means. Shakespeare. Master, go on, and I will follow thee to the last gasp with truth and loyalty the emperor having returned from seeing his visitor and his dinner hour approaching he invited us to dine with him we told him we had already dined then come and see me eat he added and when his dinner was announced by cipriani we accompanied him to his marquee when at table he desired navarre to bring in some creams for me i declined them as i had dined but i had unfortunately told him once before that i was very fond of creams and though i begged in vain to be excused repeating a thousand times that i had dined and could eat no more he pressed and insisted so strongly that i was at last obliged to comply and with some difficulty managed to eat half a cream but although i was satisfied napoleon was not and when i left off eating he commenced feeding me like a baby calling me his little bambina and laughing violently at my woeful countenance at last i could bear it no longer and scampered out of the tent the emperor calling after me stop miss betsy do stay and eat another cream you know you told me you liked them the next day he sent a quantity of bonbons by marchand with some creams desiring his compliments to mademoiselle betsy and intimating that the creams were for her the emperor possessed among his suite the most accomplished confiseur in the world m piron daily supplied his table with the most elaborate and really sometimes the most elegant designs in patisserie spun sugar and triumphal arches and amber palaces glittering with prismatic tints that looked as if they had been built for the queen of the fairies after her majesty's own designs napoleon often sent us in some of the prettiest of these architectural delicacies and i shall always continue to think the bonbons from the atelier of m piron more exquisite than anything i have ever tasted but i suppose i must grant with a sigh that early youth threw its couleur de rose tints over piron's bonbons as well as over the more intellectual joys of that happy period the emperor sometimes added sugared words to make these sweet things sweeter on new year's day a deputation consisting of the son of general bertrand henri and tristram madame montelon's little boy arrived with a selection of bonbons for us and napoleon observed that he had sent his cubitus to the graces the bonbons were placed in crystal baskets covered with white satin napkins on sevres plates the plates i kept till lately when i presented them to a lady who had shown my mother and myself many very kind attentions and they were some of the last presents i possessed of napoleon's many little gifts to me with the exception of the lock of his hair which i still retain and which might be mistaken for the hair of an infant from its extreme softness and silkiness napoleon delighted in sending these little presents to ladies and was generally courteous and attentive in his demeanour towards them he always gave the impression of being fond of ladies' society and as mr omera remarks when alluding to my sister and myself dining one day with him his conversation was the perfection of causerie and very entertaining he was perhaps rather too fond of using direct compliments but this was very pardonable in one of his rank and country he remarked once that he had heard a great deal of the beauty and elegance of the governor's daughter and asked me who i thought the most beautiful woman in the island 
i told him i thought madame bertrand superior beyond all comparison to any one i had ever before seen my father had been greatly struck with her majestic appearance on board the northumberland and i always thought every one else sank into insignificance when she appeared and yet her features were not regular and she had no strict pretensions to beauty but the expression of her face was very intellectual and her bearing queen-like and dignified napoleon asked me if i did not consider madame montelon pretty i said no he then desired marchand to bring down a snuff-box on the lid of which was a miniature of madame montelon it certainly was like her and very beautiful he told me it was what she had been when young he then recurred to miss and said gogo spoke in raptures of her and had sketched her portrait from memory he produced the drawing and wished to know if i thought it a good likeness i told him she was infinitely more lovely and that it bore no trace of resemblance to her i mentioned also that she was very clever and amiable napoleon said i was very enthusiastic in her favour and had made him quite long to see her madame montelon and bertrand and the rest of his suite often came to see him at the briars and remained there during the day it was quite delightful to witness the deference and respect with which he was treated by them all to them he was still le grand empereur his every look was watched and each wish anticipated as if he had still been on the throne of charlemagne on one of these occasions madame bertrand produced a miniature of the empress josephine which she shewed to napoleon he gazed at it with the greatest emotion for a considerable time without speaking at last he exclaimed it was the most perfect likeness he had ever seen of her and told madame bertrand he would keep it which he did until his death he has often looked at my mother for a length of time very earnestly and then apologized saying that she reminded him so much of josephine her memory appeared to be idolized by him and he was never weary of dwelling on her sweetness of disposition and the grace of her movements he said she was the most truly feminine woman he had ever known in speaking of the empress he used to describe her as very subject to nervous affectations when in the least degree indisposed or anxious he often said she was the most amiable elegant charming and affable woman in the world and in the language of his native isle asserted era la dama la più graziosa di francia she was the goddess of the toilet all fashions originated with her everything she appeared in seemed elegant and moreover she was so humane and was the best of women still with all the veneration he felt for her he could not bear that it should be supposed she exercised the sway over his public actions attributed to her and observed although the bourbons and english allowed that i did some good yet they generally qualify it by saying it was chiefly through the instrumentality of josephine when the fact was that she never interfered with politics in alluding to his divorce he observed nothing would have induced him to listen to such a measure but political motives no other reason could have persuaded him to separate himself from a wife whom he so tenderly loved but he thanked god she had died in time to prevent her witnessing his last misfortune she was the greatest patroness of the fine arts that had been known in france for a series of years she had frequently little disputes with denon and even with himself when she wanted to procure fine statues and pictures for her own gallery instead of the museum but though i loved to attend to her whims yet i always acted first to please the nation and whenever i obtained a fine statue or valuable picture i sent it there for the people's benefit josephine was grace personified 
everything she did was marked with it she never acted inelegantly during the whole time we lived together her toilette was perfection and she resisted the inroads of time to all appearance by the exquisite taste of her parure napoleon afterwards spoke of the empress marie louise with great kindness and affection he said she would have followed him to st helena if she had been allowed and that she was an amiable creature and a very good wife he possessed several portraits of her they were not very attractive and were soon to disadvantage when contrasted as they generally were with his own handsome and intellectual-looking family the emperor retired early this evening he had been in low spirits since receiving his visitor and after the portraits of the empress josephine and maria louisa had been produced he appeared absorbed in mournful reflection and was still more melancholy and dejected for the rest of the evening his visitor proved to be a count piotsky a polish officer who had formerly held a commission in la grande armee and had landed in the morning having with great difficulty obtained permission to follow his master into exile to share with him the vulture and the rock he called at the briars and requesting an audience information had been sent to the emperor of his arrival a long interview took place between them which apparently excited painful reminiscences in the mind of the exile i asked him afterwards about his visitor he seemed to have little personal recollection of him but appeared gratified with his devotion and observed he had proved himself a faithful servant by following him into exile the emperor's english of which he sometimes spoke a few words was the oldest in the world he had formed an exaggerated idea of the quantity of wine drunk by english gentlemen and used always to ask me after we had had a party how many bottles of wine my father drank and then laughing and counting on his fingers generally made the number five one day to annoy me he said that my countrywoman drank gin and brandy and then added in english you like very much drink miss sometimes brandy gin though i could not help laughing at his way of saying this i felt most indignant at the accusation and assured him that the ladies of england had the utmost horror of drinking spirits and that they were even fastidious in the refinement of their ideas and in their general habits he seemed amused at my earnestness and quoted the instance of a mrs b who had in fact paid him a visit once in a state of intoxication it was singular indeed that one of the few english ladies he had ever been presented to should have been addicted to this habit at last he confessed laughing that he had made the accusation only to tease me when i was going away he repeated you like drink miss betsy drink drink nine if i should sleep or eat twere deadly sickness or else present death sorrow on thee and all the pack of you that triumph thus upon my misery go get thee gone i say shakespeare as the time drew near for napoleon's removal from the briars to longwood he would come into the drawing-room oftener and stay longer he would he said have preferred altogether remaining at the briars because he beguiled the hours with us better than he ever thought it possible he could have done on such a horrible rock as st helena a day or two before his departure general bertrand came to the briars and informed napoleon that longwood smelt so strongly of paint that it was unfit to go into i shall never forget the fury of the emperor he walked up and down the lawn gesticulating in the wildest manner his rage was so great that it almost choked him he declared that the smell of paint was so obnoxious to him that he would never inhabit a house where it existed 
and that if the grand marshal's report were true he should send down to the admiral and refuse to enter longwood he ordered lacaze to set off early the next morning to examine the house and report if the information of general bertrand was correct at this time i went out to him on the lawn and inquired the cause of his being in such a rage the instant i joined him he changed his manner and in a calm tone mentioned the reason of his annoyance i was perfectly amazed at the power of control he evinced over his temper in one moment from the most awful state of fury he subdued his irritability and his manner became calm gentle and composed lacas set off at daylight the next morning and returned before twelve o'clock he informed the emperor that the smell of paint was so slight as to be scarcely perceptible and that a few hours would remove it altogether the grand marshal was sharply reprimanded as i afterwards learned for making an exaggerated report it was arranged that he should leave the briars two days afterwards for longwood which was now quite ready for him on the appointed morning which to me was a most melancholy one sir george cockburn accompanied by the emperor's suite came to the briars to escort him to his new abode i was crying bitterly and he came up and said you must not cry mademoiselle betsy you must come and see me next week and very often i told him that depended on my father he turned to him and said balcombe you must bring missy jane and betsy to see me next week eh when will you ride up to longwood my father promised he would and kept his word he asked where mamma was and i said she desired her kind regards to the emperor and regretted not being able to see him before his departure as she was ill in bed i will go and see her and upstairs he darted before we had time to tell my mother of his approach he seated himself on the bed and expressed his regret of hearing she was unwell he was warm in his acknowledgments of her attentions to him and said he would have preferred staying altogether at the briars if they would have permitted him he then presented my mother with a gold snuff-box and begged she would give it to my father as a mark of his friendship he gave me a beautiful little bonbonniere which i had often admired and said you can give it as a gage d'amour to le petit lacasse i burst into tears and ran out of the room i stationed myself at a window from which i could see his departure but my heart was too full to look on him as he left us and throwing myself on the bed i cried bitterly for a long time when my father returned we asked him how the emperor liked his new residence he said that he appeared out of spirits and retiring to his dressing-room had shut himself up for the remainder of the day from the circumstance that my father was the emperor's purveyor we had a general order to visit longwood and we seldom allowed a week to pass without seeing him on these occasions we generally arrived in time to breakfast with him at once and returned in the evening he was more subject to depression of spirits than when at the briars but still gleams of his former playfulness shone out at times on one occasion we found him firing at a mark with pistols he put one into my hand loaded i believe with powder and in great trepidation i fired it off he often called me afterwards la petite tirailleur and said he would form a corps of sharpshooters of which i should be captain he then went into the house and he took me into the billiard-room a table having been just set up at longwood i remember thinking it too childish for men and very like marbles on a large scale the emperor condescended to teach me how to play but i made very little progress and amused myself with trying to hit his imperial fingers with the ball instead of making cannons and hazards napoleon's health and activity began to decline soon after his arrival at longwood 
in consequence of the unfortunate disputes with the governor sir hudson lowe his health became visibly impaired he was unable consequently to enjoy that buoyancy of spirit which had probably been the chief cause of his allowing me to be so often in his society and of his distinguishing me with so much regard but he never failed to treat me with the greatest tenderness and kindness some months after his departure i was attacked with an alarming illness mr o'mara attended me and at one time despaired of my recovery the emperor's kindness in making inquiries after me and his other attentions i can never forget he ordered his confiseur when i became convalescent to supply me daily from his own table with every delicacy to tempt my appetite and restore my strength End of chapters 8 and 9